Hi there, my name is Paraskiva Florescu and I am the mission facilitator here at Alliance for Natural Health. This week I'm looking into the impact of digital technologies and social media on young people. To gain further insight, I am speaking with David Charalambas. David is an expert in communication dynamics and behavioral science. He's got a background in NLP, EFT and various other systems. And he's also the founder of Reaching People. Our conversation reveals some really alarming problems. We discuss the factors that are underpinning this addiction, but we also offer potential solutions on how to disconnect in order to reconnect to what is really important and truly fulfilling. working on an article that's going out next week on this issue of digital addiction in young people. Um, you see young people almost incapable nowadays to go even for a few seconds without their phones. From your perspective, what are the factors that are driving this digital addiction in young people? What really is at the root of that? Yeah, well, there's many aspects of this. And today we're only going to be able to sort of touch on them. Uh, firstly, is how the we can get addicted to things that we don't like or are not fulfilling. So what will happen is, and they've proved this in, in, in various studies, that they would wire a rat's brain up or a mouse's brain up where they could press a button and it would release dopamine. And in fact, what happened was that the, the rat just pressed the button. It just gave up on everything else. So what happens is when you're getting that hit of dopamine, your body and your mind is then expecting some substance. If it doesn't receive any substance, then the craving will increase. So if you're doing anything that gives you a quick hit but has no fulfilling purpose, then you're going to find yourself on a very a hamster wheel of addiction. And, of course, what the tech media companies have done is they've manipulated this so much to give you the hit of dopamine but with no substance. So effectively, you're getting what you want, but not what you need. And this becomes very problematic. Um, so then what happens is people like Facebook have studied what's called gamification. And, and this really come from a whole field that came from game designers. Game designers, nobody has to play a game. So people need motivation to play a game. So the game designers understand motivation inside out. So what the big media companies have done, the tech companies, have, they've used gamification to make their products addictive and also to make them very easy to use and very fast. So something like Facebook, there's there's eight elements of gamification, and Facebook have, have managed to like almost master seven of them. The eighth one, which is purpose, they can't give someone purpose because it's basically, you know, it's an empty shell, isn't it? But what happens then is people feel compelled to use it, but won't actually even enjoy it. And that's where mm -hmm. it's problematic. So they will be there just, you know, they're scrolling and scrolling. And it's such so unconscious. You know, you see it with parents, with their kids in the room, and the parents just scrolling and scrolling, just getting here, here, here. But no, no, no fulfillment, I think, is the key point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and what do you think they're trying to 
fulfill what what are they trying to fulfill with this constant scrolling and searching oh, well, and... well basically we have five deep needs and anytime we're seeking you know pleasure or anything else we're seeking to fulfill those needs the problem arises when something looks like it's going to provide that but it doesn't now rather than a stop what we tend to do is more of it yeah so you know if somebody's not if somebody's malnourished or they're eating for psychological reasons um if they eat the wrong food it's not going to nourish them but what they find is doing is having to keep eating more and more and more of that wrong food so if somebody doesn't feel socially accepted um, that's a part of their, their psyche that's not fulfilled. They're going to seek likes. And the problem is, uh, you know, the typical thing on social media where someone likes your post, that will give them a, a short burst of motivation or enjoyment or pleasure. But it won't be fulfilling enough because it won't ever reach that deep part of them. So then they're going to find themselves in that constant cycle. And brands love this because they forever want people buying their products to get that here never feeling enough and then buying more and more uh, and obviously retains when it comes to adolescence the to be socially accepted is massively important which is what the cigarette companies would play on they would make it very cool to smoke and therefore a kid would want to look cool so they'd want to imitate their idols mm -hmm. yes um so do you think children are much more susceptible to subconscious programming than an adult or um Massively, yeah. massively. I, I th you think about when you're building a house, the foundations are really the most important things. And in fact, zero to six is the most important time for a child's belief systems because they're not, they don't have discernment of any kind, really. Up until the age five or six, anything your parents says, you would generally believe, you wouldn't question. So if a kid was told constantly that they were stupid, they would develop a belief that they're stupid and nothing they did in the outside world could change that. So the actual foundations of our psyche are so important to have strong foundations. And of course, the media that we're exposed to can help shape our view of the world. So our belief systems about the world and ourselves. And particularly a lot of the social media companies push division because they find that's very engaging. So they get a lot more people on there. So what you'll find there is they're dry. Their literally number one goal is to get someone addicted. So in order to get someone addicted, you can't really give them what they need because they'd never become addicted because they'd be satisfied. So the nature of the beast is actually to, to create faulty perceptions of ourselves, a bit like the women's magazines. In order to sell more product, they need to make people feel inadequate. Yeah, so it's a real, uh, a real problematic um business model I guess is the way to look at it mm -hmm. yes it's quite scary actually with what's going on nowadays and and the manipulation and do you, do you think that COVID has had an impact on this addiction and dependency on social media the COVID era oh massively it's gone through the roof I mean the the, the numbers of depression and suicides is quite startling now uh, I think one of the biggest problems we face is that we have an illusion of control. If you talk to anyone on the street, guarantee that most people will say they're not affected by advertising. 
whereas everyone is affected by advertising. We can't not be affected by the images and the pictures and the, uh, the sort of ideas that we see and we're exposed to. We can choose, if we're conscious of them, to ignore them or disagree with them. But if we're not conscious, that's the problem. So much of the information that makes it into our mind now is unconscious. It's subliminal to a certain degree. And by subliminal, it's we're not aware of it. So, and this, I think, is the biggest problem, because if you're aware of something, you can choose to agree with it or not. Uh, for instance, there's so many studies to prove this point. If you went into a supermarket, whichever music they were playing, whether it be French or German, which is what they used in the study, the sale of those wines would increase significantly. But when quizzed, people would say it had no effect. So what's going on is that the information that we're exposed to, and Darren Brown made some wonderful videos on this to prove the point, um, where he gets people to do things, and because he's exposed them to suggestion, the problem we have is we don't think we're suggestible. Yeah, most people will say that they're not they're not prone to hypnosis or any suggestion, when in fact we all are to a degree. It's a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and I think especially young people are almost so protective of their phones and social media and their this technology. And um, yeah, they're even, uh, I think they do deny that there is an addiction there and that there is a problem. So how could we help them become more conscious about this, um, you know, subliminal messages? You know, you said if we're more conscious, it's easier to not be affected. So how do you think we can help young people? In well, that? I think if young people, I think, were fully aware of what actually made them happy and what didn't make them feel good, then that's the first step. The problem with addictions is a lot of them are not controllable. Um, really, I mean, Rat Park, I think, is one of the sort of must understood studies. Um, so in the 60s and 70s, what they did was they put a rat in a cage um, with two water bottles. And one of them had uh, just plain water and the other one had uh, a highly addictive drug. Uh, and what happened was that the rat would pretty much overdose all the time and end up killing itself. Now, they then assumed that the stimulus, like the drug, was the problem. And if you got exposed to it, then you would become addictive and, and probably overdose or become a drug addict. Uh, but this missed the point. And I think it was um, Professor Alexander who, who came along and said, well, the rat's in the cage on its own with nothing to do. And then it's suddenly given a stimulus or like a pleasurable thing. Of course, it's going to do that. So what he did was he built Rat Park. And there's a lovely cartoon uh, that you can watch on YouTube for this. It's like 90 seconds long. And what the rats did, they had this massive enclosure with loads of toys. They could eat, have sex, drink, all this stuff, drink water. You know, they had so many things to do and keep themselves occupied. He then put in the same thing. He put two water bottles in there. One of them had uh, you know, highly addictive drug. But what he found was that none of the rats got addictive and none of them overdosed. If anything, they would take a small hit every now and then. And this really proves the point is that if you have what you need to have a fulfilling life, then you are very unlikely to be addicted to anything. I mean, some people are more prone to others depending on the, the nature of their genetics. But if you have everything you want, you're not going to become addictive. So by nature of getting people addictive, they have to not give them what they want. 
And that is what so much of society is based on now, and particularly social media. So social media is literally targeting to make teens feel bad so they become addictive, so they, they need the likes, and then the more, and then profits go up. So because social media companies, and pretty much you look at any corporation, if it has profit as its sole goal, and in order to get that profit, it has to do some negative things to team minds, then they're quite happy to do that. And it's been shown time and time again, you know, Bandera's research, people will do what's immoral if it's, you know, under certain conditions. Now, it's quite startling when you when you think about that, you know, how they've done that and how their goal literally is to get people addicted. Well, that sounds hopeful then that um, if we create that environment for young people, the addiction will naturally, it will naturally um, fall away. Um, so yeah, yeah, if they get what they need, they fall away. I mean, what's what's startling is that the behavioural science have discovered this, and because the corporations have picked up on it, they're using it against the sublimity. So it was found that when people are in a sad mood, they spend more in shops. So what the supermarkets, some supermarkets in the US started to do was play sad songs through the tannoys to literally make shoppers feel bad so they bought more product. Um, and, and one of the social scientists who was walking around a shop could hear these sad songs and he knew it was his field that had created this. And, you know, it was driving the staff absolutely crazy because this like album was on loop to make shoppers spend more. So they were just completely in a sad mood all the time. I think we're going to reach a choice point now that the data, this is why this one of my main things is to get this information to the public. Once the public knows about it, then they can hold the corporations to account and say, hang on a minute, you're manipulating me. That's not cool. So when it becomes very uncool to manipulate someone, then the corporations will have to change their behavior. Because, I mean, there's no point thinking the regulatory bodies are going to regulate this because they don't. They they're no longer regulating, they're actually enabling. They're pretty much all in bed together in, in this respect. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so interesting about the, the sad music. I find it fascinating. And also, I think it makes sense now um, that there's so much addiction because we're also in this age of separation and young people are just in their homes. There's, you know, the parks are empty. They're all on playing video games and trapped in their phones. And yeah, it makes sense that they're seeking to fulfill this um, need. So um, you, you were talking about social media being, we have to hold it to account. I think we've obviously been following very closely the progression of censorship at global level. And if social media is censored, is this really in the public interest, do you think? Um, could could would well, that help people or young people, especially who are so vulnerable, would it make them receive a balanced perspective? Or Yeah, well, there's, there's two different issues there. One of them is that social media is intentionally manipulating teens' emotions and moods uh, to, to pretty much modify their behaviour. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. Facebook are there as, as a platform, but they're actually operating as instigators into people's perspectives. That is like a no-no. Censorship also is a, is a very grey area, is that I'm very much of the opinion on as least censorship as possible, you know, almost to, you know, because we have to be able to have a balanced view to be able to discern the information. The problem is, is that because um, a few people now can actually expose people to only certain parts of information, people are not getting the full picture. 
we don't make decisions on the information in the world. We make decisions on the available information to us. So we are always under an illusion of a full sense of security, that when we go to make a decision, we make it on the information that we have, and we always have a full sense that we have the most information that we need. So if you start removing bits of information, the person is then going to feel even more confident over their decision. And we've seen that the last few years, that people have been hyper-confident that they've made the right decision. And so because all of the contradictory information has been removed. And that has never happened mm -hmm. before in history. And that's where you're never you're not ever seeing both sides of the story now. So, you know, this wokeness is is a problem because people, for instance, a lot of the wokeness is people just wanting to fit in. So whatever's the current thing and people go oh yeah i support the current thing which is obviously the comedy meme they're doing it because they want to fit in they want to be a part of society they want to be part of the group but i think even the telegraph ran an article recently where they said it's actually the minority now that are running the majority of opinions so the minority opinions because they're held by the minority of the billionaires and the elites they can push that opinion and pretend it's the majority and then a large number of people will adopt that position because it's the popular one. There is that, and this is where you get yourself in this problematic cycle in that um, we it's a problem we have to solve, but it's really a lot of it's to do about interested parties. A lot of the information that's provided is to sell something, to make profit. It's not because, you know, I, I think it's naive to assume that a lot of the institutions are doing things in our best interests. No, if they could put the price up, they will. And that's what happens. They don't, it's no longer about giving you a fair price or a fair deal. It's about charging you the most you will pay. And that's, that's a, you know, that's, I think, is its whole basis is on an unethical grounding, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely is. Um, so, so what are the dangers if we keep going along this path that we're, going on with you no know, with the with this digital addiction and the isolation that's going on and the censorship and what what are the dangers well i think the dangers are further and further detachment from reality i mean i think anyone certainly around my age group has been startled by the delusional aspects of so much of what's gone on the last few years you couldn't have a rational conversation so i think you're going to see more and more polarization more and more division but I think what happens with these things is that it's only when they become really bad that we do anything about it. And I think we're reaching that point. So I think we have a window of opportunity, particularly with you know so much of what's going on, is that it's getting so bad that people can't ignore it anymore. And the numbers around teens being depressed, everything, we have to ask questions. And there's a very – I listened to an interview with a doctor in the U.S. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but she did a detox protocol with kids around screens – and the, the results were startling in that they would literally almost be back a member of the family. So it wasn't just social media. It was screens, all of the screens, because, you know, they they do things to the brain that are not really in our best interests. Um, so it's really about reconnecting. So the funny thing is that we need to disconnect to reconnect. So we're connected into the things that are not providing fulfillment, value, connection, all these things but they give the illusion that they are, and that's how they're sold. So, again, it's this – I think there's this one concept I think if people could get is that 
if you're driving along and you see a sign to a city that you want to get to, that sign is not the city. That sign is just a sign. And with dopamine, that's all it is. It's giving you a hit because it's taking you to the destination. The problem is we're not going to the destination anymore. We're going to the sign. So people, for instance, when they have like a sugary drink or whatever, the body is thinking it's going to get nutrition, but it gets nothing in effect. I mean, even with a, a sugary drink, it gets at least something, even though it's bad nutrition. But with the artificial drinks, the the Sweden ones with the, the you know the aspartame, etc., then it's a double whammy because the body is thinking it's going to get something, but it gets nothing. So then, what does it do? It turns the hunger up. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing people more and more unfulfilled and more and more hungry for all the things that we need as a human. You know, uh, really, we need we need to feel a part of society. We need to feel like we're fitting into the groups and people and we're socially accepted. We need to bond partners. Obviously, all the social media is causing a lot of problems in that aspect. We need to make a feel that like we're providing a purpose and we are making an influence on the world. You know, we need to feel safe. And, of course, that's where so much has been sold to us the last few years. But no one ever felt safe the last few years with all of this stuff going on. They felt less and less safe, even if the numbers. So you see, the numbers didn't match reality. People are far more scared of things from an emotional perspective than the numbers would suggest that they should be. You know, mm -hmm. and the classic is snake bites versus road accidents. Like you got like something like thirty thousand times, even more of that the chance of dying in a road accident than bitten by a snake, but the 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 fears are completely the other way around. Mm -hmm. See, so I think it's about reconnecting back to reality, or our perception of it at least. Mm -hmm. And you know, my worry is that the subliminal messages on social media are so. Um, damaging and so it, it's really difficult to see what they're doing sometimes yes because it is so it goes so deep and subconscious and and do you think um young people especially should just get um just get rid of social media altogether or could they stay on social media responsibly uh i think it's hard to i i think we'd all be better off I mean, I how do I manage mine? I basically, I don't consume much information anymore. I use social media to message people in various parts of the world or to post or share ideas and memes and stuff like that. Um, so I've really felt that I've broke the addiction. And I did have the addiction, probably like, probably like anyone else that uses it. If you've got five minutes spare, it's so easy to go, oh, I'll go have a quick hit of dopamine, I'll watch Facebook, or you could just sit and watch the birds. The, the problem is, is that the sitting watching the birds has lost its appeal to most people. It's really to realize what is fulfillment, because a lot of the time what feels like fulfillment isn't, because mm -hmm. the brain is really designed to to go after the things to make us satisfied. The problem is the companies now mimic those things. Uh, so I think really, I think the knowledge of getting this out there to how vulnerable we are to influence, how subliminal works is really important. Mm. Um, then I think that we could start changing the landscape and we could have, you know, we could put certainly some controls in in within the social media. So imagine if you had one that was ethical and didn't have a goal getting you addicted. Um, 
it might pop up and say, oh, you've been on it for 20 minutes. Would you, you know, should you go for a walk or something? Because it's those priming things. It's a bit like, you know, where you're late at night and you're, you've gone to research something on YouTube and three hours later, you're looking at pandas. You know, it's, it's so easily done that time just disappears. So I think being conscious is a big part. But that's that is easier said than done. So I think first is we need to understand the problem, which I think a lot of. I mean, I was listening to a book called the um, Chaos Something, uh, all about social media addiction. One of the high level guys at Facebook released a lot of their internal data to a journalist, and it's shocking. It's shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what their goals are but what you find is that when he then went and spoke to the um the executives they have this sort of head in the sand about the issues you know they're so focused on doing well what they're doing that they kind of get a cognitive dissonance of well but your main goal is to get kids addicted and it's a bit like the you know a, a person selling cigarettes and going oh yeah 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 you know not worrying about that aspect whatsoever um it's very easy for humans to do that to really ignore the elephant in the room i think that's the thing so i think we then one thing is we can't trust these tech companies i think that's the first thing um and then to become very skeptical and really just to change the way we view social media mm-hmm. yeah i think if uh, young people really understood how social media works and how the manipulation works, I think they would naturally not want to be on it. Like personally, I remove myself completely because I know I could be vulnerable to these messages. So yeah, yeah, I think more education and the work you're doing is amazing because it really makes people aware of the the techniques that are being used on our minds. So I think it's really important. Well, 70% Uh, of teens actually do know they're being manipulated. Mm. problem is is that it's still this it's still more of a pull than a push away from and i think i think if they knew the degree of how they're being manipulated that might change things but yeah most of them are aware that something's going on i mean it's like if you sit there you're on there for 20 minutes and you don't feel good like why you know it's intentionally bringing up negative emotions because it sells more mm-hmm. yeah and to to end on a on a happier note because this is such a dark topic and um what are some some of the solutions that we as a society can adopt to help young children and ourselves as well first is be the role model you know so much of what's going on the last few years and i know i know with many of the campaigns everyone's looking outside for an answer but we got first got to do within ourselves so if you think about you know i don't know there's I know a lot of them personally, where people will say they're in the truth movement and they're part of the rebellion, the resistance. The question really has to be, what am I doing on a daily basis? What am I supporting? So there's a lot of people that will you know, go on a march and then they go into a fast food restaurant, like one of the ones that sells plastic burgers, and then they go into a supermarket and being facially... Like, they realise that their daily actions are supporting the very system that they're marching against, which is ironic. And it's, so it's really, and it's not a criticism, because we all, you know, we all will have a certain percentage of things that we do that we know we're not supporting the systems we want to support for various reasons. But it's to move towards that, to say, right, well, what can I do? Can I, <clears throat> you know, so really it's, it's first looking at my actions. And once I've 
done my actions to be supporting the, the systems that support me, then I can start to help others do the same. Because it's not easy to live a conscious life in today's world. There's so much going on. We're all so busy on, on you know, treadmills, as it were. But we've got to get our lives back, you know, because we're going to have time. And then when that happens, the parents can spend time with the kids. Then they're going to have better belief systems. They're going to have more connection at home. So it really begins always at home, doesn't it? I think there. And then, of course, you know, and there's plenty of, of articles and videos that will instruct people on how to go about extracting. But I think the first thing is to understand that rat park. You can't really stop an addiction until you fulfill the, the underlying need of why the person developed that addiction. There'd be something missing in their life, some hole that they're looking to fill. Amazing. No, that that makes so much sense. And it always comes down to the honesty we have with ourselves. And as you said, like the healing we do on a personal level is the most important and it will spread to the world. So no, that that's uh, an amazing conversation, David. Thank you so much for your time and for answering the questions. And um, yeah, have a, a nice evening. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah.